Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who really knows how to cut it up with an accordion. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and sometimes I just play the accordion so much that I faint. Yeah, maybe just... maybe have a some sort of uh, cardiovascular event. Yeah. Um, I will say this. I wish that were true. I wish that were true about me. I would... I want to put in no effort toward this goal. I am never going to put any effort towards this goal. <laughs> but I would love to, like, if I could just wake up, like, tomorrow and magically just be good at accordions, like, yeah. you know, like, is it a useful skill? Nah, probably not. I would I would even accept the inevitability that uh, my amazing, magical according abilities also sometimes made me faint. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe even, you know, if they didn't, if, if they didn't also make me old and likely to die soon, um, I I kind of think that might even be a bonus. If you're like you're so <laughs> like you know what I mean like you're so like like fucking awesome at aquarium and you're trying you're doing so like you're just putting so much into it that you like pass out from it. I feel like that makes your accordion your accordioning even more interesting. Before we get into the movie this week, I do want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can get access to a bonus episode. It's a non-criterion film, and supporters get to vote on what movie we're going to watch. I usually put together a list, but sometimes I let supporters suggest the list as well or suggest a particular movie to build a list around and let them them advocate for that movie. Uh, If a supporter does suggest a movie, we that wins we also often try to get them onto the episode and it's really fun to talk to someone about a movie they really love it is uh we don't do that as often on the main podcast because no one actually loves criterion films uh <laughs> this is the thing we've discovered in 500 episodes <laughs> yeah. there's not a single movie in the cr- entire criterion collection that anyone actually loves it's very weird yeah it, uh, i mean I, it almost seems any, like they're doing it on purpose yeah, any list of movies that large should just, by its very nature, prop- the laws of probability says someone would have to love one of them, but no, we've not no. discovered that yet. No, yeah. Uh, it's quite the opposite, in fact. So that's why we do non-criterion films on the bonus episode, <laughs> so that we can find movies that people actually connect with and like. For just a dollar a month, you get access to those bonus episodes. You get to vote on what you're gonna we're gonna watch. You get access to all the the back catalog of bonus episodes. There's over fifty over there right now because we've been we've been doing that Patreon stuff for a while now too. And we do we have a lot of fun over there. Of course, we do also have fun over Speak here. Speak for yourself. I to, <laughs> to Pat, this is Pat, a living hell. Pat was not joking. <laughs> Pat was not joking about no one loving any movie <laughs> in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're very definitely taking this from both sides of the uh, sort of viewpoints here. Yeah. But yeah, that's all for for the $1. A little above that, the $5 mark, We uh, for people who want to help us a little bit more, can afford to help us a little bit more, and we greatly appreciate that. We'd like to thank those people on air. 
So thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Chris Otto, and Andrew Jarrett. Thank you. A bit above that, we do something that is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard once a month and write a little personalized note to our $10 and above supporters. We also like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to Tracy McGrath, to Patrick Yako, Nina Bajnak, Jason Westhaver, and Adam Speakerman, thank our current you. $10 and above supporters. Yeah, Pat's, Pat's postcards are really great. And if you want to check them out without committing to the $10 and above, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion there. You can see all the past postcards. You can purchase them if you'd like. If you want to send out your own postcards, impersonate us, pretend to be me writing illegible uh, <laughs> fountain pen cursive notes to people. Um, you can do that over there. In fact, I, I encourage you. More. You can Please buy them as greeting that. cards. If uh, if you want to, you can buy them as, as stickers or magnets. So yeah, you can see all of those postcards at redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. Uh, but if you want to support us more directly, head over to patreon.com slash lost in Criterion. Either way, we're very happy for that support. Absolutely. And we're very happy for uh, just for you listening. Thank you so much. We don't You don't need to give us money. It's very kind of the people who do. Yeah, we appreciate it. Well, Pat, this week we are talking about an Austrian film. I almost said Australian there, which would be very <laughs> which would be wrong. A big, um, especially if they still did it in German, but with an Australian accent. Beautiful. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Perfect. I wonder, when was the last time we saw an Austrian film? Do you think I, have we, we ever, ever seen, seen one? an Austrian film? I don't think so. There are two films in the Criterion Collection marked as uh, being of Austrian origin. Uh, this one, of course, and the other is Michael Hankey's Funny Games. Okay, uh, which we will eventually watch at spy number nine hundred seventy-five, and I will try try to get you to watch it when we get there. I'm gonna. I uh, am going to. I'm going to. I submit that this that we have a Toronto, Canada scenario here. Um, in that I suspect there are more films made in Austria, but they are all being released by German. Uh, production companies right, 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 right. that shoot in Austria and then release via, through German production, like through German sort of uh, uh, output. I think um, I think that's probably yeah. fair. We've probably had movies yes. that shot I'm in Austria prior in in different eras of German film through, through our yeah. course. Uh, but with Criterion's labeling system, which we've talked about before with like uh, Ukrainian film, it was hard right. to, to determine what, what was Ukrainian marked as ussr and right what, yeah i mean we, we get down to the fact that like like it or uh, not the criterion collection is not a library as such it is not a it, they are not right, trying right, to right. catalog film and so they are not yeah reliable like the, the country of origin is not actually a reliable marker on their website or database so but in any case it is perhaps kind of interesting that that means both of our austrian films are recent Austrian films. Oh, well, there was no Austria until 2005. In any case, we are talking about Revanche uh, from 2008. It's a thriller written by Gott Spielmann. Uh, it's the only Spielmann film we'll watch, as indicated by the fact that we only have one other Austrian film in the collection. Well, right I now. mean, there, it comes um, with two, so I guess there's that. It does. It does It does come with a, with a short film uh, that he made as a student in 1985. Uh, and then this is his fifth feature okay. i believe revanche um 
so you know he he put in a lot of work between the two examples of of his film work we have here but yeah always a good indication that the criterion collection has no intention of showing us another film from the same director when they when they when they throw another when they film put a bonus there. feature yeah. as one of his other films <laughs> yeah it's like yep yeah, we're done with this guy well i mean i don't know what i don't know anything about him like reality of the matter is what i was going to bring up is you you brought up the the short film and i was like ah the short film which is in my mind, almost qualifies better for the the term thriller than the movie we watched, <laughs> despite having less action. Significantly less action. Uh, uh, no, I, 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 to basically get down to where I'm going with this is, Revanche starts off feeling like it will be a thriller. Yeah. But it rapidly, not rapidly, but by about halfway through is, no longer feels like a thriller. It doesn't become a bad movie. It just becomes not a thriller. It feels... It becomes more of like a character. Um, what am I looking for? I can't words word me, Adam. Uh, character studies yeah. more than it is a thriller. Whereas the short, I am scared that the child will be murdered. At any point. <laughs> That's fair. That I spend the entire movie going, "When will <laughs> this child, the child be murdered?" To be murdered? <laughs> that is that is fair. Every single adult in that child's life is deeply ominous. Yes. I agree. So, so with Revanche is is the short film called Foreign Land, uh, which even the name implies something deeply ominous about this yeah, child's no. life. It was really uncomfortable. Yeah. The basic the basic premise of Foreign Land is that this young boy, um, maybe around ten, uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, maybe even a little bit younger. He might yeah, be like eight. Is on a break from school. And his father is, we open with his father giving him like a quick rundown of how to run the farm and then leaving him with the farmhand on top of a mountain to take care of the cows for an indeterminable amount of time. Well, he says, I'll be back in a, I'll be back in a week. Dad says, I'll be back in a week. That is, you're right. You're right. Uh, Yeah. And then it's just on the foggy mountaintop in the Austrian Alps and, uh. This random couple shows up who definitely looks like they're going to murder them or try to have a threesome with the or, <laughs> with or the farm. Yes, ant. I I was like, what? Like I kind of in my mind by the time they they like their entire scene passed, I was like, okay, I think the I think the deal is the husband murders the <laughs> child while the wife sleeps with the farm. Yeah, hand. yeah, as a distraction, and then they just left, and I was like, oh, okay. This yeah. is this movie is just is fucking with me at this incredibly point. weird energy in that dinner scene with all of them. <laughs> it, it's it is very uncomfortable. Yeah. Like it is I what I learned from both of these movies is that maybe more so than any this is a bold claim for for a person we will never ever see again. Maybe more so than any other director we've watched and I'm including some real heavy hitters Spielman may be the master of very uncomfortable, uh, like long pauses. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Like in both films, you just hold in places where you're like, "Well, something has to happen," and then you go, "Is my streaming device broken?" <laughs> and then break. An interesting there. Yeah, amazing. an interesting aspect is that Spielman has a background as a playwright. Uh, and I have to imagine those okay. long pauses work m- significantly worse on stage than they do in film. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't. I don't know though, because at least when you're in st- on stage, 
you're not concerned that the device you're watching right, it right, on is right. Broken. The actors aren't broken. You can be pretty sure. Yeah. They, they, yeah, <laughs> like oh god, I've, I've entered some sort of like Star Trek or Doctor yeah. Who has like time loop. I'm just frozen. Right, right, what right. the fuck? It eliminates it eliminates a pretty major. Yeah, uh, uh, you you'd expect it to be the the device breaking. So now you're down to either this is on purpose or I'm having an aneurysm. So um, <laughs> right, yeah, maybe the movie like maybe the play has moved right. on and I'm right, stuck. Right, I don't. I have become unmoored uh, from time and all reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those are yeah. my only options. Like, this is on purpose or yeah. I am a god. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or or and or being or punished, being by, punished one. by, by one. one. Those are my two. Tr- yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, yeah. So foreign land is. Uh, yeah, other than that, I don't know. I found I found it to be kind of boring, to be honest. But you are right that I, it's... I, I weirdly didn't. I, I I don't know if I would enjoy this watching it again. Yeah. Primarily because now I'm not afraid the child will be murdered the entire time. But there's there's something weirdly Imagine that Wes Anderson didn't make things twee, but made things uncomfortable <laughs> German. Um I mean, there. And are, then you get there are definitely in, in my mind that you've got Spielman. There are definitely people at least who with that would mind. describe Honky that way. Our other Austrian director, who we will eventually interact with. <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. On like, a on, on a like, through line between both, and obviously, Foreign Land was was very early, and he's still a student. Um, right. So it's it's you can't gauge a career by the two examples we have certainly, but uh, but on a through line with both. Spielman does seem to be channeling sort of I think early Bergman and and Dreyer really in a yeah, lot I of would ways. agree um if they were like fast forwarded in time right, to now right right and and made and made to make modern yeah. movies but with their still sort of fundamental right. sensibilities right. yeah I would I mean re- I would revanche agree. I would say even more Dreyer than yeah. than Bergman just in the sense like that that uncomfortable stillness yeah. and like that sort of forcing the audience to then start introspecting with the characters feels like a very, I mean, bourbon does do stuff like that, but like dryer feels like even more of that, I guess Bergman's like religious stuff, I guess would be well in that in vain that something like the Virgin spring is already pretty close to a Bergman revenge thriller. Uh, right. Whereas, whereas this, Revanche definitely is like if Dreyer decided to make a revenge thriller, this is how it would turn out. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. One hundred percent, hundred percent less revenge than expected. Right, right, right. Certainly less revenge than promised in the title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. But like that's the thing, right? Like it's not really a movie about revenge, right? It is. This movie kind of fucked with me in a really specific yeah. way. It started off like a movie where I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna hate this movie." <laughs> like you know how I yeah. am, and like I, the first thirty minutes of this movie, I was like, "Oh no, it's one of these." Like I'm not mentally in a place where I can watch one of these. Please just let me go, make it stop. Like I don't want to watch. Like where I'm just mentally not in a place where I want to watch. Like this is the hard scrap. Like a movie where it's like. These are the this is the hard scrabble life of these people and it's a fucking nightmare and it's bad all the way through right. and it's it's you know what I mean like we have to watch those kind of movies sometimes and like sometimes I'm I'm in a fine mood for it and I'm like this is fine I even like sometimes go out and seek out movies like that but like right now I'm just not in that place right, right. and 
I was like, oh, no, it's one of these. Oh, no, I've got to go through two hours. <laughs> and then, like, it shifts and stops being that kind of movie. And and it, like, did a 180 on me to the point where I was like, oh, I like this movie. This is great. Yeah. This is this is really good. As we as we stop worrying about the thriller part of it and we start just learning about these people, it gets really it gets really it turns into a very fascinating thing to watch. It's really really interesting. I was I was absolutely shocked. Like as as soon as we we were like as soon as it started off the way it, it did, like you know, as soon as it became like, you know, this guy's going to rob a bank to get like to try to like help his girlfriend get out of debt and like they're both just really super down on their luck and like the world's a fucking hellscape and everything's really bad and it's like yeah I know that that's why I don't want to watch movies about right, it I li- right li- right li- right in that hellscape like and then like as it turns around like and the oh man when she gets killed it is like really upsetting like I was watching it on the couch next to Rumi and she's like wait a minute what <laughs> like yeah. Every so often a movie will be like where a movie will be good enough at this doing something like that. She's not even watching the movie. She's just on the couch next to me like reading Instagram or something and sort of half paying attention. She's like, wait, what? Yeah. And and it's yeah, it's it's, oh, it's very affecting. And then like you start to you start to immediately start to empathize with our main character. And and you're like, well, like, what does he have to live for now? Like, like, legitimately, like, you start, like, going through the sort of mental process that you have to imagine he's going through, which is, like, is there a point? Like, do I even, like, keep going? Do I just wait here? Do I just do I just die, too? Like, yeah. what's the point <laughs> of this? Yeah, despite, despite the establishing scenes of the pond, of uh, uh, the police officer doing his... Uh, as uh, gun range uh, target practice of uh, Susan at at home uh, talking about having just lost the baby. We settle into the first half of the movie with a plot focused on on uh, Alex and Tamara and sort of forget all that rural stuff that we've already seen. Right, so yeah. In, I was like, well, because I knew the movie was about revenge. I was like, well, this will come up later. Right, right. I'm right. sure we'll come back to these. Of people. Of course, we'll come back to those people. Uh, but through the through the first half of this movie, with a movie titled Revenge, uh, you know, you can you you start thinking about well, who's going to be taking revenge on whom, and it seems right. like it's going to be this hard luck guy against the local mob. The mobsters right. or whatever, yeah. yeah. Uh, and that is that—that that is not the sort of movie that Spielman wants to give us. Uh, and and right, thank you very much for it. But he certainly leads us down right. a path from the, at the beginning that that is the sort of movie we're going to watch. And like, oh man, they re- he really fucked with yeah. me. Like hard. There's a lot of nudity in this movie. Um, yeah. And it's one of... One of the few movies I think I've ever seen where that really just feels natural, like yeah, it's it's been a couple. We've had there's not it's not the only one, but it, it is rare. So it oftentimes feels like the director's doing it to like because like you know what I mean. Like it it often feels like it's a strange pet project of the director to like have it in right. there where the where the director's like I well I really want nude 
people in my movie. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, yeah. Alex, Alex and Tamara's relationship is just so, so real feeling that mm. that it doesn't feel weird. I mean, the the shower scene in the first ten minutes is probably a little gratuitous. I'll give it that. It is, <laughs> it is definitely. I that one bothered me a little bit just because it was like, again, I I didn't we didn't know enough about the movie, yeah. so I was like, oh, it's it's. I also did a oh, it's one of these. Yeah. Like oh, it's gonna be like this. This is what every we're gonna have this every ten minutes because it was it's long enough and gratuitous enough that it's like oh, it's. I really think he's trying to pull a head fake on us. I honestly do. I think he's trying to pull us into believing that we're going to get like a, a mob murder revenge type yeah. movie, like right from the beginning. Like he he wants to tell you that you're going to get like a fucking like to live and die in L.A. or some shit. <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. Not, not that I'm call, not that I'm calling <laughs> to live and die in L.A. shit. No, that's not what but, I'm yeah. saying. But my my point is that like that it, you're going to get like that. This is going to be all this for like two hours. It's just going to be super intense and you're just going to be like it's just going to be this kind of crazy nonsense right from the beginning and it's just not going to stop and it's going to be people like doing the sorts of things he's doing where he's like running for the mob and and, you know there's like sex scenes and supposed to be sexy and stuff like that and it's just it's all a head fake the entire thing is a head fake for the first like 20 minutes is that i mean it, it it establishes the stakes right to, to help you understand why they make the decisions they make. But then the, the, those decisions are only serve the purpose of getting to the point where we get to just do a character study of Alex and by connection, you know, the, the, you know, the policeman and his wife yeah. and, and the, the very few characters we actually end up with all four of them. Right. Right. Well, five there's, there's his grandfather too, Osner. I was counting his grandfather. I wasn't counting tomorrow. Oh, yes. I suppose. First 20 minutes I suppose. Like, not to be mean, but like we don't, we get just enough time with her to form a connection so that it hurts really bad yeah. when she dies. Just to, basically as a vehicle to establish with, like Alex's mental place. Right, 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 right. Like, you know what I mean? Like she, she does, the sort of saddest part about the film is the fact that like she exists as a sort of emotional vehicle rather than we get a lot of her at the beginning, so we do get to establish the kind like we get to know yes. her. It's not like we don't get and to know her, but we're we're not given a lot of time. We know her, and we know their connection, right? Uh, and we know Absolutely. we know why this is such a loss, even though the you know the principal sort of plot of the movie is Alex and Robert and Susan in the in the rural right. area could be its own movie. But we have enough time because it's really it's it's close to the halfway point when the robbery takes place, right? Um, I, for some really, reason, it registered in my, in my mind as being only like thirty. It really minutes is in. that? I don't know why. Maybe just because that first part moves I so think fast. It's, I think it's closer to forty-five minutes. Um, but, I believe it. But the movie's only two hours long, so it's not you know within. Well, I guess for me, it feels like because the pacing changes so dramatically. Yeah. Oh yeah. That like you get into the second half, it moves at a slower pace, and so you're like, oh well, this is this isn't this is ninety minutes of this, and it's not actually ninety minutes of this, but it, right, it is close to ninety minutes. It, it definitely does a. But I think I think the the that her death takes place a little closer to the halfway mark than than thirty minutes, right. but I'm not quite. You know, I could be wrong there. Um, 
because it really I, I don't yeah. know I didn't I didn't actually check so. but you're you're right to say that prior to her death the pacing is much faster than after her death and it all works naturally for the story that's being told that mm-hmm. you know everything comes to a standstill when she dies that is part of the emotional yeah. impact of of the movie too uh yeah um and what we've got going on in the city the city's busier the city's uh angrier the city's uh, you know, everyone's hard scrapple in the city and Alex is just getting by and Tamara's certainly just getting by and she's got these forces outside of her and, uh, you know, she's essentially being held in this place I mean, where she everyone is. lives. She's absolutely right. a prisoner, a hundred percent a prisoner. I mean, we see it at the end, like when they finally take her out of there, right. they have to do a prison yeah. escape. It is yeah, essentially right. a prison escape. And we uh, and we get, and we see an example of what and like the movie, they do a very good job in this movie of letting you know exactly the sorts of scenario like situations that they're in, right? Like because like yeah. we see that other woman that Alex has to like manhandle out of the room, basically. Right, right, right. Like you right. don't get to not work, you and you are they are they are for all intents and purposes slave labor. They just right. are. Uh, they all are. Su- it, it's classic, like company script kind of scenario. Like they're all super in debt. To the, it's all co- like got that weird veneer where it's like, well, you're just in debt to me a lot because, right? You know, you're not covering your co- your costs and stuff. Well, and, like, it's, 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 just, it's also. It's I mean, it, it is never explicitly said in the movie, but the fact that these are all uh, Ukrainian or Russian yeah. immigrants, yeah. Yeah, there, yes. There's also the implication that we paid to get you absolutely, here. Totally. That's yes, uh, absolutely, 100. percent And yes. that's the debt, you know. And that, well, that's the debt, and then he also is charging them for the rent on the right, like, right, way right, too right. much for this shitty little like one room thing that they live in. Yeah. It's like it's the cla- it's ex- it's exactly what you expect it to be. It's the classic scenario that time has been told a thousand times, right? Like that that part is normal, tragic, but normal in a movie about this kind of topic. But right. it it it's also kind of I think to a certain extent meant to be very easily shorthanded for the audience to be able to pick up on the whole scenario very quickly. Yeah. You know, you can relatively you can pretty fast understand all the things that are happening here. Uh without them actually having to spend that much time explaining it. Right, right, right. And of course, you know, her her boss uh is definitely he's that he's that sort of asshole who wants you to know that he's not really an asshole, right? So right, he's right. always he's always well, I've I'm I'm doing this good thing for you, and uh, no, I was just but joking I will, I about will, you, right? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I will also absolutely pay a dude to come and rough you up to like convince you to leave this job to go work this other job that I'm going to make a lot more money off of you with, right? Right. He's right, just right. he's just like. Again, there's a lot of really good, like, kind of basically shorthand work to get through you through a lot of information very quickly here to, like, let you know exactly the sorts of people you, that these that Alex and Tamara actually are dealing with, right, right? Right, They're not shorthanding them. They're shorthanding all the people they interact with, with in, in their scenario to make it easier to digest in the relatively short amount of time that they have. Um and that that benefits them because they the the movie can spend more time on their relationship, which is actually what's important to the sort of flow of the story. Right, right. And and it is, you know, 
their relationship is is well defined uh, yeah the the way they act together the way they are legitimately trying to help one another get out of out from under what they're under right now of course the i'm going to rob a bank is always you know it's it's the simple plan that always goes awry you know and his well yeah i mean and his plan yeah. is is even more simple than normal you know he's not even going to load the gun uh he just does a couple of dumb things he stops in a no parking zone uh he lets her come along uh yeah. as she insists and obviously she's freaking out and just repeating i think the lord's prayer over and over yeah. again <laughs> not that we ever I'm just bad at passing it by saying. I yeah, the the one the one thing that I really run into mentally when I watch this that I that only in my sort of like hindsight nitpicking it's like, well, like you have a grandfather who has a farm in the middle of nowhere that you can essentially live on rent free forever. Yeah, like I feel like you could just run away there without getting the money. You, you know what I mean? You don't even need to pay off your debts. Just go. Like that's what you end up doing at the end anyway. In this yeah. movie, right? Like in the end, it, it's kind of got a tiny bit of sort of like Raiders of the Lost Ark sort of logic where like you just ended up there anyway. That yeah. was always probably where you were going to end up dumping the car anyway. Like, well, well, there nobody is nobody the... apparently knows your name or anything or that you have this place. So you could right. just go. There is the aspect that because because tomorrow's dead that debt there's no there's no coming after that debt right yeah i mean whereas I, if I get they had that. successfully I, escaped there would be uh mobsters after them right i and i get that but i also kind of got the impression that like well yeah but i feel like the mobsters would have put two and two together pretty quickly and then just been after alex regardless right right and we never see them again like they become like just background material which makes me think that, like, yeah, maybe they're hunting them, but maybe also this place is just really... I mean, they're really far the fuck out in the middle of nowhere. And, like, if they if they don't know... You know what I mean? I, it's, like, a dumb thing that I just started thinking about after the movie was over. It's like, oh, they probably could have just, like, run away here. Right, right, right. And, and like, laid low here for, like, a long-ass time. Well, the, the sequel to this, then, is... Uh... A movie that came out before this, but like something like uh, Cronenberg's A History of Violence, where just this quiet right. family man in the future has the has the gangsters show up demanding. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's not like I'm I'm not. Yeah. It's it's not even really like me being like, well, this is the character in this movie is dumb or whatever, and like that sort of stuff. It's just like, oh, I was like, well, now they probably there's a universe where they just move there and like. <laughs> live happily ever after right, right and nobody nobody can figure out who they are because like it's well it's know. listen i in the reality of the situation there are probably ways it could have worked out but also it is alex's loneliness uh and devotion to trying to distract himself from her death that leads him to reconnect with his grandfather which it seems is to true. be a strange no, relationship totally. so yeah for sure yeah. for sure just yeah. just showing up there with his girlfriend to hide probably wasn't going to fly, but yeah, maybe not. But yeah, I, you know, it's just uh, it's just a thing I thought about at the end. 
I'm interested in this movie in that it's everybody, the rural farmer, the uh, middle class living a little above their means, means uh, grocery store owner and police officer. So even upper middle class, but still living a little above their means. I mean, yeah, they're definitely like, yeah. I mean, it's really one of those things where like, I don't know. We're 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 just slightly out of the realm of like comfort and talking about what we like do and do not know about like how right. they're th- that sort of stuff, right? Like I don't know how much a small town grocery store maybe owner, maybe clerk. I'm a little confused about that part too. But either right. way, her family helped pay for part of the house. It's and they also had to take a loan out for part of the house. She says, right? Um, but they have a family that can pay for part of the house, and. Uh, and she talks about the loan as if it's going to be done in a matter of months, not right. years. So, yeah, they're they're well enough off. Uh, but they have their own alienation between the two of them. Uh, whereas, you know, Alex and Tamara have no alienation between the two of them. Their alienation is is from the comfort the rest of, of life society and the rest yeah. of society. But uh, whereas... Robert and Susan are, or Suzanne are integrated into the rest of the society. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're pillars of their society, right? He's a police officer. She, she's at least a well-known clerk, if not the owner of this grocery store. There is a little ambiguity yeah. there. They're right. Uh, when we see her in the store, it's like she's a clerk, but she talks about, right. I have the store in a right. way. Which that I don't know if that's ownership. just a weird turn of phrase or if yeah. that's, yeah, like. Right, right, right. Yeah, not not speaking Austrian German. I don't I don't know <laughs> exactly what she's meaning there. Um, I just have the English translation, and sometimes the way things get translated, the meaning is not yeah. the same. Yeah, because there's uh, a there's a world where like the translator is like, well, I have the store in the sense that where you would like so well, you know, I have I have a job. I, I could see yeah. yeah, I could see somebody talking that way, and it's fine. Like it's not like it doesn't make sense, but yeah, it's hard to say. Right. Right. Um. But in any case, everyone everyone's alienated, uh, and and everyone has loss here. Um, Alex obviously has has a loss. We see Alex's grandfather has the loss of of his wife in the background of that. Uh, that he is getting over that grief from, um, and you know, Susan and Robert have the grief of the loss of their um, their miscarriage. Um, mm. That is really, and 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 also they're running with the the knowledge. They they're both very well aware of the fact that they do not seem to be. It's very likely that they will ever conceive a child. That right, that, right, right. You know, and and actually have a child. Yeah. Um, Robert Robert is established as having, uh, uh issues, um, uh, and yeah, and of course you know through the second half of the movie, Robert is dealing with the the grief and guilt of having killed Tamara. Um, and it's interesting because he's, there's a lot of subtle things this movie does where, especially around Robert, I feel like are establishing when we first meet Robert, he is an excellent marksman, right? Yeah. Uh, so he claims he's shooting at the tires as the car runs away and the car's driving up a hill as it runs away. Right. It's, it's up an incline. 
Right. Um, and he somehow shoots out the back window and into uh, Tamara, um, which he insists is an accident, and it's believably an accident. You know, the way he's reacting, I'm not, I'm not questioning that he did it on purpose. Um, but he definitely... He is, it's the difference between practice and inaction, I suppose. Right, he's not, yeah, absolutely. Well, and not, also, he, at times in the movie, starts to question himself about whether, like... Right. You know, he does that thing where he's like, well, it all happened so fast, which, you know, okay. Where, like, it's like, he's told himself for sure, he's definitely told himself that he was aiming for the tires. Right. But, like... We can never be true, like we can. We as the audience, or even, or even Robert himself, can never really get a full lock on. Like, is that a story I told you told yourself, or is that really right. what you did? Right. And once, and like, and that's brought up, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Alex brings that up, right? And once you start telling it to yourself, it becomes the story. And and right. of course, in in real life, we see that frequently with police, where absolutely, you know, it's not. It's not an active lie necessarily. It is. It is the trying to save I mean, with, base, with and then you try to save a little is. more base. Um, yeah, with American police, what they tell the press is always, always the version that makes the police look the best. Which is why you have to worry when the police tell a story that actually makes them look quite bad, uh, because and that's, it and that's the one that looks best. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely yeah. means we're going to find out something worse. Uh, but. Um, yeah, I mean Robert. Robert is obviously a conflicted individual, and a lot of Robert's personal, uh, like the conversation they have about the adopting, where Robert Robert goes like turns full, out to be a eugenicist, yes, full eugenicist, uh, all all nature, no nurture. Uh, how could we how could we raise this person without? knowing their their background, their genetic makeup. How can we ever know what their character will be? And I'm like, right. yeah. raising a child, like, right. what? what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is, a, it is, it is the, it loses, it loses Robert, for me, it loses Robert enough points in my book when I combine him with being a cop at the beginning right. that it took me a pretty long time to get on board with, like, any sympathy for Robert as the movie goes along. Yeah. Because you're like, I kept like you keep having flashbacks like, oh right, yeah, this guy believes <laughs> believes that like the the children of criminals are automatically criminals, and also uh, is a cop. So like, right. boy, I don't. It's hard to get on board with Robert for a little while there. But but is still about to raise the child of a criminal as his own, uh, unknowingly. Uh, right. So jokes on you, Robert. I guess. Yeah. I guess that's uh, the revenge, right? Like, yeah. I, 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 in in a, as much in as a, any revenge takes place, yes, that is the that is the revenge. And I and I kind of hope that that's not exactly what Spielman meant because that's that's like much less interesting, right? Honestly speaking, yeah, you know that aspect of it being the revenge. Uh, that aspect is so it happens, right? And it's in the narrative, so it is a thing. But it that, also is right, but it's also not very important, right? And also, no one. No one's really actively pursuing that as an act of revenge. Right. right? Everybody actively seems to be, like, all parties involved are going the other direction, right? Yeah. Are going to, as far as we can tell, just never, it's never going to come up. Yeah. Suzanne like, Suzanne pursues this uh, just to get a child. 
that she can right. reasonably uh, convince Robert is his. Uh, Alex pursues this out of grief. Um, does he, when he first shows up, does he know Robert, Robert is the cop when he first goes I to the affair? I, I don't think he remember. does. I don't think he does. I think he I finds mean, out that he's the cop later on. Yeah. Of course he eventually figures this out, which is why he starts, you know, stalking Robert at their house. And, right. you know, we see frequent arguments between Robert and Susan from Alex's point of view, watching from the woods. Right. right. Um, uh, and there's so, definitely a certain amount of like Robert's definitely or uh, Alex is definitely thinking about using this as a vehicle for revenge for a while. But that seems to yeah. fall apart for him as well. Pretty after a, in fairly short order, he sort of just kind of gives up on that idea completely. Right. Right. And I don't think, you know, I don't get the feel from Alex that he is trying to like cuckold Robert as an act of revenge. No, I, I think maybe I think like when we kind of like watch like sort of Alex's face and emotions, I think he thinks about that for a little bit and, yeah. and sort of like definitely starts pondering that. And then like we see that pretty much Alex can't in the end really find it in himself to be the kind of person who gets revenge. Right. You know what I mean? In right. the end. That's just not the kind of person he is. It wouldn't yeah. do anything. Like, and of course. He very clearly, clearly makes a decision right. pretty early on. And we get we get a clear line on that decision in like the final moments where he confronts Robert in the woods and has that conversation with him under the guise of just talking about the, the bank robbery. And then Robert, uh, Robert gives the line of, you know, what What I'd ask that bank robber if he came to kill me, I'd gladly let him kill me. But what I would want him to answer is, why was she there? Uh, why, why even bring her? She wasn't driving. She wasn't a lookout. She was just sitting in the car and waiting. Why even bring her? And then Alex, you know, has the emotional breakdown of that realization that this only right. happened because I let her come and then throws the gun into the water. And we get a repeat of the of the first image of the film of that, of the trees reflected on the water, except this time we have the gun drop through the frame. Um, and yeah, right. So, you know, Alex is still dedicated to that revenge in that moment, but at the same time, you know, he's also, when Suzanne comes to him and says, we can't have the affair anymore because she's pregnant. She's, she's achieved her goals. She doesn't right. say that, but that's why. Um, yeah. Alex is just like, yeah, that sounds fine. Um, so like, yeah. You know. Well, and I, and I would argue that we we see several instances where like Alex backs away from revenge when he has the opportunity prior to that. Right. Right. Like, it becomes pretty clear. I mean, like that talk with Robert in the woods like seals it. Like seals the. He has had opportunity to shoot Robert it. before yeah. and not done it. And has not done it. Like, it is fairly clear that, like, in in the end, Alex does not really have revenge in him. Right. He does not. He has just, he like, and and that choosing not to kill Robert on several occasions where he has an opportunity yeah. is, is, um, is early enough that you can be like, oh, like, the movie maintains some bit of suspense about that, but not really. Like, you're never really... Fairly early on, you stop being worried that Alex is going to try to kill Robert. Right, 
Right. We just sort of come to the like kind of mental understanding, like, oh, this is just never going to happen. Like, he's just not going to do it. Like, we're going to watch him toy with the idea because he is still upset. But like. Robert or uh, Alex also didn't load the gun when he went to Robert. Right. Like Alex right, is right. not a inherently violent person. Actually, we, we get moments of him being violent in the city. Right. We do. Yes. Um, and you know, this movie isn't certainly pathologizing the city as a violent place because the, the same sorts of alienation and violence do take place <laughs> in the country. Right. Uh, but we see acts of violence. Well, you know, he manhandles the one woman. He doesn't hit her. Yes. He never. F- forces her to do anything. He drags her to the bath and throws water, on, water her. on her face. Yeah. yeah. Um which is a form of torture. We'll we'll yeah. look at that. I mean but, like he is uh, he does but, do violence in the city, but also it always has a feeling of like a direct reaction to the circumstances he's in. It's like it lacks a certain sort of element of premeditation. That, right, like, right, right. Something like revenge. It's it's all very like reactionary violence. Yeah, and it's not when very he, much of it. When he beats the crap out of the John, it's out of defense, not right. out of revenge. Um, yeah. So I saw I saw somebody call this movie Hitchcockian, and mm, okay, I don't I don't get that because there's never there's never a moment where it's actually suspenseful for me. No, me not, neither. Not that I don't want to keep watching, because I do. I want to see where this plays out, but there's never, it always seems to me like Alex is going to eventually come to terms and not do this. And if Alex right, did right. actually kill Robert in the end, I would be. It, it would wouldn't be, be a very good movie. Honestly. Yeah. I don't think I would have liked the movie. Now, now there are movies like that end in that way that I do, I do like. And I yeah. think particularly of, uh, say, Calvary, where... In the end of Calvary, the gunman confronts the priest main character and tells him all of the reasons that he's doing this and then still does it. Right. Uh, well, I don't mean that I don't <laughs> think it, the killing is not the like would not ruin the movie for me because it's killing the guy at the end. Like that's that happens in movies. I've seen plenty of movies where that happens that are good movies. I like it would be so out of character for Alex. Right. That I would it would bother me from a purely character standpoint where you'd be like this doesn't feel like a thing that this character would do like honestly speaking right and even and Um, even with all the bits of him stalking robert alex never really feels it doesn't feel it feels yeah no it it feels it 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 actually entirely feels basically voyeuristic more than anything else right it does not feel it feels the little it feels creepy in that way because he is doing this but you get the impression more that like you kind of get the impression that it's more alex trying to like understand the person who killed right. tomorrow than it is anything else like it did this like i think there's a different movie where robert does not have any remorse and robert is a monster yeah where alex would kill him maybe because yeah. it, i think a lot of this hangs on robert or alex seeing just how much this is bothering robert and understanding that like revenge would be revenge is meaningless like right in every way, right? Like, it, it was. It's already. We already see that Robert, that Alex is pretty depressed. Like, is depressed. Like, understandably yeah. depressed. And so already you get that impression right almost the minute he walks out of the car that like Alex is barely hanging on to any sort of reason to live at all. Um, you know what I mean? Like Robert's cutting wood in a very manic state. <laughs> like, right. Like Robert is 
is is definitely right on the knife's edge in general. Right. Um and then like what really he gets I think out of Al or get sorry, I keep I keep messing up. I keep swapping Robert and Alex. Alex is cutting wood very manically. He's right on the knife's edge. And we actually do see that Robert is also too uh for different reasons and in different ways, but is also really like really barely keeping it together. But but I think to a certain extent, like I don't know that we ever really have to worry about Robert or Alex taking revenge, but like they almost seem to be mirrors of each other in a way that like Alex sort of gets something out of seeing Rob not not like from Alex's or from Robert's suffering, but from the fact that like oh, like this person is barely hanging on to. Like I don't know. It's hard to explain. There's definitely we're definitely we're definitely supposed to add our own sort of mental context to this as as viewers. There are definitely parallels between Alex and Robert in the same way that there are parallels between Suzanne and Tamara. You know, yeah. you know, they are both uh people who fall back on religion. Um Tamara sitting in the car praying the entire time that they are even driving to the bank, let alone, you know, out of the city. The entire time he's in the bank, she's just sitting out there praying until Robert interrupts that. And, you know, Suzanne is definitely meant to be a very religious person as well. Um, there's that great, that great thing where Alex says, well, what were, you, what were your God think about this, about their affair? And Susan says he'd understand. Right. Um, it was a wonderful, wonderful exchange. And we get, you know, those little hints of uh, religiosity. You know, there's that scene where uh, Alex and Tamara are driving. I think it's on the way to the bank. Um, but they go through the woods and the car turns off, but the camera keeps moving forward. And there's that wooden cross just in the woods there. Mm. And, you know, on, on another hand, that's the foreshadowing of Tamara's body being in the woods of, of, you know, a grave marked with a cross, right? Um, but also, uh, in the background material, uh, Spielman talks about that that cross really being there, that the, there are these wooden crosses all through the woods, and he wanted to make sure one was there because he lets, he lets the location speak in the movie as well uh, and lets the location affect the script. Um, is is the point of mentioning it there, but, but it's actual use in the movie of we've, we've just been behind the car and then the car pulls right. off and we go into, into that wooden cross is it's a very interesting visual as we, as we encounter it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful movie. Um, no, yeah. I mean, it no really in like, right. I mean, and not to like, kind of like kind of one of the things that got me about it, like, as I said, like there's that that the, the Tom, uh, Tamara's death is a very serious turning point, not just in the movie, but also in me liking or not liking the movie, uh, which sounds weird. But like the things that come after it are what make this movie for me, not the beginning part, right? But also, I'm just we I mentioned it in the other one talking about the short, but like like Spielman like does some real solid magic work with like timing and the way that like how mood is captured in like empty rooms and stuff in a way that like oftentimes I don't generally like very much in movies, but 
is very very effective here where like especially like for example when Suzanne like goes and like cleans up the bed in the nursery and we just hold like we do that a few times we do that quite a few times in the movie and we just hold there for a while yeah. and like those are actually sort of the m- most suspenseful parts of the film for some reason you're not really worried anything's going to happen but like right. it kind of like you linger there so long that you that kind of Spielberg kind of lets you get uncomfortable in the space yeah like you as a an audience member are almost I don't know how to describe it I don't I don't they feel suspenseful despite the fact that I know nothing's going to happen there right and it's possibly like, I know, the most suspenseful aspect of the movie is, right, is Robert's I, I just arrived so, home actually. Alex is is going and Tamara's got to clean up the evidence of her affair uh yeah but like you don't even get like it's the movie is the the pacing of the movie is really interesting because even when she's cleaning up, you never really get this full sense of urgency. Right. She's not. I don't know how to explain it, but like well, we she's also, not. She doesn't feel guilt that about what she's doing. Right. Now, at least not that we read that registers in that way. She feels satisfied that she's doing the like what she has to do to, for her family. Right. And so, like, she never, like, seems rushed in that way. Yeah. The fact that they have sex that night in the nursery is itself uh, an indication of her motivations in all of this, too. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And it's not, again, it's not out of some sort of revenge against Robert on any end. It's it's just that this is her goal is to get a kid. Um, And the... The first night of the affair, actually, there's there's moments, particularly in the cleanup after the first night of the affair, where we get we get certain things decontextualized, so we don't know exactly what's going on, and I think particularly of Suzanne um, cleaning up the broken wine glass. Right. We never see her break it. We don't see when or well. I I think we're supposed to assume that it breaks when they have sex on the table. There, right? There's that implication, um, or some other manner of her hiding the evidence that there was a second person drinking wine. That's also um, possible. I mean, like that. That I mean, it may be a little bit of both, right? Like, yeah. I mean, but like she, he's not like that's not the night he comes back early. I mean, no, no. She's like she can wash glasses and stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, I think that is, all, it, there's definitely, I think to a certain extent meant to be some, some metaphoricalness to the glass there getting broken just to let you know that like Alex's involvement here is, is disposable. Right. That, like it is that he's not, that this isn't that kind of affair that like is going to like, I think that's, there's definitely a metaphor there, but also it, it goes to indicate that like, like what happens there is very um for for the, they're both getting very different things out of this right uh it, it, but like and and then like that 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 broken glass feels like a it, it's sort of the flotsam of what they're both getting out of this right like alex is more of a direct grieving thing whereas like um suzanne is 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 much more calculating about it, right? Like, um, but it, they it both produ- it does produce things that like are undesirable, which is like, you know, 
the broken glass is a sort of a metaphor for that. And we kind of even get the impression that like as we go that like it, it is it is very rare to in my mind, and this is maybe just me being having been born and lived my entire young life in in the Midwest. I feel like it's very rare that I get any sort of like actual emotional content out of sex scenes yeah. in movies. And what I mean by that is that like so many of them feel very throwaway and they just and all your director's trying to do is telegraph like uh, lust and passion to you, right? Like ninety nine percent of the time that seems like that feels like what your director's gonna trying to get across with you. Nothing wrong with that. But like it it feels like oftentimes sex in movies is very one note. It's very like Okay, I need you to know that the characters here like are really, really into each other. They really like each other. Or it's the opposite direction. It's all violence, right? That's I feel like that's what movies do with um right. sex a lot. Whereas I feel like I'm impressed with Spielman's work here in actually putting a real emotional content into it. Uh, like there's I don't know how to describe it. There's a lot of like you kind of get this sort of sense of grief off of Alex and, and some stuff like that that feel it sounds weird to say to me now, like in hindsight, like as a like when I think about it. But like it doesn't feel like that kind of like that oh it's like I you don't get the impression that Alex is doing it out of passion. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's more about like emotional release than anything else. Right, he's not doing uh, it out of which he's not doing it out of passion or out of revenge. Right? No, it uh, really feels it like really it is emotional is, release. I I really yeah. feel like it's like there's a certain amount of hesitation to it, but like not like out of fear or something like that. It's like he, it's still sort of part of the grieving process and processing and things like that, which is really fascinating because again, I don't feel like movies often have that sort of emotional depth to those kinds of scenes. If I'm being honest. I think Alex shows up that first night for the affair out of the same impetus that has him blowing through that wood pile. Yes, absolutely. I agree right? completely. It is it is a distraction. Um, you know, and he's already you know, the whole the whole way that affair comes together is him telling telling Susan never to come back to the house, right? That he doesn't want to see her around anymore. Um and he does say we as if he's putting that on Hausner as right. well. Um, but you know, he, he, in that moment of his grief, he doesn't want to have an emotional connection with anyone. Right. And he does in having that physical connection with Suzanne, uh, he ends up and her continual involvement with Hausner. He ends up having an emotional connection with Hausner, not necessarily with Suzanne. Right. And it's that emotional connection with Hausner that brings him back. Right, I really think. right. Which in many ways, which she like ends up being the facilitator of, right? Like right. I mean, she right. in, in many ways she Suzanne brings. They are Hauser and and Alex are both very emotionally distant with each other, like incredibly emotionally distant with each other, and in many ways Suzanne brings just enough life back into Hausner's life, right. That like it sort of rejuvenates him enough that he begins to open up, and Alex is also processing grief at a pace that sort of matches enough that he can sort of re- reciprocate a little bit, which is right. It's it's very and like I don't know that Alex and and Suzanne don't have any sort of connection. I would say that it's a they both know that 
they're each getting something out of it, and then right. it's a like a that like it is. I don't know. It 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 has a sort of like coworker feeling. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. Like I don't know how to describe it. It's like it is a there is some sort of connection there because like the way they chat second time is much more human than the first time. Right? That is fair. That is fair. And and but not in the way that like oh this is gonna turn this is a budding budding affair and they're gonna like it's gonna explode. It, it never feels like that. Now of course neither of them lay all their cards on the table, right? No. You know, Suzanne never says, I only want you here to get me pregnant, right? She doesn't even, like, she right. doesn't no, even want Alex not. to know that he would get her pregnant, right? Right. That being said, I, and I, we don't know that Alex knows that, like, we, he, we, don't, we certainly can assume that he does not know that, right? Right. But, like, there's a sort of business-like attitude to a certain extent about it that, like, I don't know. The way they talk to each other, especially in the second time, feels like people kind of at work (laughs) i don't know it's like oh well we we know each other and we're we can have casual conversations with each other and it gets a little bit more emotional depth because we get into what's going on with alex but like we also don't get the impression that like again they're going to be like best friends or anything like that right right i mean to an extent that's interesting because tamara obviously worked in a place that commodify commodify sex Right. Suzanne here is taking a very business approach to the sexual encounter. <laughs> right. Know, she's, they, they are both getting things out of it. They are sort of bartering sex in an unspoken way. Um, neither of them are approaching it from an emotional angle here, I don't think. Right. They are acting out of emotion. But Alex's emotion is grief, and Susan's Suzanne's right. emotion is grief too. Really, right? It, neither of them is acting out of the emotion typically associated with sex. Is right. I is basically like what we're getting at here. Like they right. both have there's emotional content there. It's just not the emotional content that we have all equated to being the emotional content of sex. Right. Right. Um, and neither is Tamara's interaction with any of the people she, other than Alex, that she's with. Um, I mean, the movie is essentially constantly throughout about that sort of like doubling up of of people, right? Those sort of mirror reflections of each other, right? Because like even down to the fact that both Robert and Alex are not religious, but Tamara and Suzanne are. Like we're definitely supposed to read them as sort of mirror images of each other, right? Like like, on both sides of of Tamara's death. That would lead me to believe that maybe Tamara's death happens almost exactly in the middle of the movie. I don't think it does, but that would be interesting if there's literally a, like an inverse reflection thing going on. There. Right, but right, like, right. The idea that, yeah, Suzanne and Tamara both have, in their life, have needed to develop a business-like attitude towards sex because it serves in, in, in needs that they have to fulfill, right? And then you have Alex and Robert both in some way or another engaging in violence, but again, not necessarily being violent people per se. Uh, and, and a lot, there's a lot of sort of uh, mirror image work here that I could definitely buy. Uh, somebody doing more work on this academically could definitely argue if they sort of pulled the, part, the film apart completely. Certainly there's an implication in the way the other police are treated that uh, either the reality of policing in Austria or uh, Spielman's view of policing in Austria is is not one of inherent violence. 
Uh, right. I mean, and that, that may be on Spielman. That may just be Spielman having a, a blind eye to what violence is inherent to it, or it just right. serves the purposes of the of the film. Right, 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 right. Uh, it, it's also quite possible that, like, they're all, like, super small-town police, and they're both they're all talking about, like, just fucking nothing ever happening there, so they're basically right. just parking meter right, checkers right, right, or right, something right, to that effect. Right. Yeah. Yeah, to that, to that extent, uh, Robert is... A dark version of Simon Pegg's character in Hot Fuzz, you know, because it's a it's a police unit that, uh, you know, they even have like a cake party when he has his his uh, uh, panic attack at work, right? They're, right, right, They're right. having the celebration of something, um, yeah. Whereas he is the guy who always wants to be on patrol, you know. Right. He is he is a little he is more violent than the rest of the cops to that extent, right? In that he always wants right. to wants to be now he probably has his own reasons for that you know he's he's apparently taking the evening patrol uh which keeps him out of his wife who away from his yeah wife, i mean he's he's having, definitely uh, he's definitely dealing with a lot of sort of like prior to even like the start of the movie basically he's definitely dealing with like anxiety or something right, right? like something like obviously it's we, we can assume it's the result of the miscarriage but like we don't know for sure he is an, an an anxious individual. He is like yeah. high strung. And like, we see that in the way he interacts with, uh, tomorrow when they, when they meet in the car, right? Like, honestly speaking, you know, we, we, when we get down to like sort of the brass tacks of what, what happens there, like he's way overly suspicious of this woman right. sitting in a car in a, like in a no parking zone, like not like, you know, the movie doesn't want us to like spend a lot of time trying to assign blame in those in those capacities or something like that. But like, honestly speaking, like, who the fuck cares? It's a small right. town with no traffic. Like, right. Who the fuck cares? But like, and wh- that's not the and point, right? Like, the movie's not and, about who's to blame. Right. And it's not like he's parked right outside the back door of the bank because he comes down the alley when he comes back. Right. To yeah. The he's car. parked like down the street. So, it's it's yeah. 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 They're just in this loading zone alley in the uh, yeah. Who cares why, why? Right, and so like Robert's there. high strungness comes yeah into play there because like honestly speaking, like you could just like keep walking. Right. Like she and then and then and we get into just a slight hint again of just this little tinge of like a sort of bigotry associated with right. Robert. Right, he's asking her questions about her ethnicity and her nationality and like passports and stuff. Which is the sort of thing you do when you're uh, a bastard who's going to like try to like get people deported. That is uh, a bigotry that, often associated yeah. with small town cops. Yes, absolutely. To, and so yeah. we 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 are alleviated of the notion that like Robert is just a good guy, right? Like the movie kind of goes out of its way to make sure we understand that like that Robert is complex. He is not a yeah. He's not just a like. A good guy who just made a mistake. Like Robert has things that, expressed in other environments, are like are very extreme problems. Actually, there are <laughs> manners where the mistake he made is going to lead him to be a better guy. Uh, not least of all, he's going to quit being a cop because he's forced yeah. to. But, uh, <laughs> well, one hopes this leave of absence is permanent. <laughs> right, right. But that is that is also, you know, it is. This is a narrative. So I will never, I will never say that in reality, a cop committing a mistake like the one that is committed here, uh, whatever, whatever the end result, it is not a good thing that that mistake was made. 
Uh, <laughs> but in the pur- for the purpose of a narrative where we're exploring like characters and we can be detached from them to a certain extent. Yes. Yeah. Right. I know exactly what you're saying. Um, but like yeah. Robert has issues. Like Robert is not is not squeaky clean right from the beginning. Right. Like Robert right. says things that tell us that Robert has ideas about the nature of people that are informed by bigotry. Yeah. And and Alex has uh, and is related to people who are even worse. We right. Get to right, see right. Where right. Alex's ideas come. So Alex or, is, is Alex ideas better than his father. A hundred percent. Robert is or, better sorry, than I his father. I keep fucking yes. that up, man. That's all right. Like that's because I have... just said Alex. Because I sorry. Yeah. I was going to say Alex. Alex's relationship to violence is not all squeaky clean too, because he he frequently no. jokes with the gun. Right. He yes, pulls the gun not, on Tamara to to make her nervous as a ha ha. That's funny. Which is. An not emotional re- manipulation that we do not see, we do not see manifest in any way that is violent. Um, so you know that that sort of falls back on Spielman more than more than on Alex as a character, I think, because generally, the the people who joke with guns in the way that Alex jokes with guns are going to do something more violent. Right. I um, yes. I I mean, well, and like we, but at the same time, just to play to give benefit of the doubt. It's also quite possible that Spielman wants us to understand that, like, given other circumstances, different environment, Alex would be violent. Like, Alex is, we, in much the same way of Robert, we're supposed to, I think, understand that, like, this is no, this is not an angel of a person. (laughs) This person is flawed. Yeah. Alex is described as an ex con. Do we, do we know what crime he committed? Do not know why he went to jail. Uh, As far as I know, we are not given any, I, I, we're not given any oh, shit. No, he stole something. We know he stole something because his grandfather mentions. Well, you like the first time uh, Alex goes up and visits the grandfather in the country before this all goes down. Uh, Alex mention like talks about like oh I don't have a lot of prospects after I got out of jail and his grandfather says well you didn't you didn't nobody made you steal things or something to that effect. Right, right, right. So we do yeah. know that he committed robbery. My guess is, like, I mean, it doesn't. Robert or uh, yeah, Alex got out. It, it's we don't get the impression that it's like was heavily violent or anything like that. But he also it also is a part and parcel for why he is not able to get a job at a, a normal place, right? Right. He is working at a brothel for the mob for a reason. Yeah. All right. So if Alex and Robert are mirrors, and Tamara and Suzanne yeah. are mirrors, uh. Are Hausner and Tamara's boss mirrors? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no. <laughs> in that no. they are both uh, the fatherly. No, actually, I think Hausner and areas. Alex's, or I think uh, Hausner and and Robert's father are mirrors, and we just don't spend a lot of time with Robert's father or <laughs> Robert's father because Robert's father is a bastard, and we're able to telegraph <laughs> right. that information very quickly. Very, very quickly. <laughs> just, just down the down the checkmark list of. Of bad opinions I have encountered on the internet. Yeah, yeah. We just don't. We don't spend a lot of time. I mean, like, if if there's a meant to be a mirror sort of thing, I think we're. It does fall apart in that environment, just because, like, I think in the end we are supposed to. That's what makes the story interesting by having a kind of a twist on the mirror, right? Like, there are things that don't translate perfectly. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Robert's father is there just to let us know to a certain extent that, like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but doesn't fall exactly next to it. Right. Um, 
is I think it's part of just characterizing Robert in general, just to like let us know where he comes from, uh, to make us understand that like these ideas he holds are sort of watered down versions of these ideas. Uh, so right. Uh, yeah, and then uh, yeah, Hausner just doesn't have a pair because Hausner is is more or less a sort of mirror of of Alex's soul as he tries to like because yeah. like Hausner. Well, so in that sense, I guess if you're going to make that argument, weirdly enough, Hausner and Alex are also mirrors of each other because they both lost the right. only person they actually care about and and are trying Hausner to rediscover their going, humanity out of this right, exactly. grief, right? And 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 are both on the verge of just saying fuck it, it's not worth it anymore. When we meet, when we when they encounter each other, right? Like, yeah, I and like I Hauser suppose... expresses a thing that Alex most certainly is thinking to himself. We know for sure, which is like, well, maybe it'll be over pretty soon, and I won't have yeah. to worry about this anymore. Yeah, but also it is it is both of their interactions with Suzanne that bring them back from that absolutely too. So I guess it's it's a double so, mirror. Yeah. That 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 hinges on a sort of like it's like a it's a trifold thing, yeah. There we go. Um, it's a, it's a triptych. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> this movie is too dang good. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, for a movie that legitimately made me really uncomfortable for the first twenty or thirty minutes, it made me right. like, oh fuck, I'm not. I'm. I was. I was legitimately upset. I was like, oh no, we're watching one of these again. I don't want to watch one of these. I fucking hate this. I was like, literally, like sitting around, like on the couch next to Rumi, like whinging about. Like I was like, I just don't want to do this again. I, like, I, I was like talking to her about the idea that like I need some sort of like safety button where I can be like, you know what? I'm bailing out of this one. Fuck it. I'm done. I don't. I don't want to do this one. I'm not in a mental place to deal with this right now. The world is too fucked up to, for me to spend time yeah. doing this. Yeah. And then the movie pulled me back from the brink by being fucking unbelievable. <laughs> and and that's why it's not fair for me to have that button, uh, even though sometimes. The, more often than not, the movie doesn't do that, and it's just something I don't like all the way through. Yeah, uh, when I when I feel like that in the beginning, usually the movie continues to disappoint. Um, and also, it's a uh, it's really hard to figure out what what is or is not the cause because definitely it's a combination of the movie plus what you're bringing into it, right? Because like we've watched movies that start with that energy that I was talking about at the beginning and are like that all the way through, and they're good movies that I like, right? There are movies that I purposely watch that are kind of like that energy at the beginning that I think are great. And but I was like freaking out. I was like, I don't want to do this. No, maybe don't make me do this. I can't do two hours of this. Um, so yeah, I don't know, man. Uh it is it's actually really once they get away from the mob that I that I cooled it, like cooled down. Right. Because I just right. I was not in the mood for that kind of mob movie thing right now. <laughs> yeah. That sort of detached sense of violence that you get in mob type movies, I just not in a mental place for that. Um, you know what I mean? Like it's a, it's I, I don't know. I couldn't watch a Sopranos episode right now either, even right. though they they're nominally about how that's all very bad. They still stress me out if I'm in the wrong mood. Yeah, yeah. I guess if I have one complaint about this movie, it is that there's a reading of this to suggest that the city makes people more violent well i uh, mean yeah i guess but like 
but again, when we get into the mirror thing, like all the shit that was in the city was in the is in the countryside too. Like it's That's all fair. there. That is it's true. different. It's different, but it's all there. Like in that sense, yes, I would argue. In that sense, you could see that like Robert's dad and the boss are mirrors of each other in the sense that they're both just absolute shitheads because there, there are absolute shitheads everywhere. Right. Right. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. It is. It is a wonderful movie. Oh, and the other thing I would like to point out about it, and I noticed this more in the short than I noticed here, but I think I feel like it's uh, present in both, is the soundtrack in this movie is, both movies is doing a lot of work in telegraphing uh, emotional content. Um, you say that about a movie that has, I think, no music whatsoever. So I feel like, well, I mean more like the audio landscape. This, the right, the right. short absolutely I'll, has I'll music that. in it. Yeah. Uh, the short absolutely has music in it. I'm I'm pretty sure. All I remember is like I feel like there are there's a sort of soundscape that happens, especially when we hold on uh, certain rooms and stuff. That yeah. really kind of like messes with me a little bit. It kind of like feeds, it. and it may actually be the absence of sound for that matter. But like there's a sort of um the soundscape of the movie feels very engaging. I don't know how to describe it. Like it doesn't feel like it's. I don't know. I it, it may actually just be the absence of sound entire like of like when we hold on shots there just isn't any sound other than just sort of like room sound or something like that. But it feels very dramatic. Um I'm pretty sure the short has sound in it. It has music in it. Because I feel like they build up a lot of suspense with sound, but I may be like maybe imagining it at this point. I may have created my own soundscape, which is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's definitely no score to Revenge, um, right? Which I but think I feel is like another... there's sound. I don't know. Weird. I mean, like, obviously there's sound, but what I mean is like I feel like there's some sort of background sound that like. Oh, I'm sure we like, get nature sounds whenever we're in the woods, um, or or at the farm or or whatever. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of it. Yeah, I mean, I and, and like when I think about it, I don't think I don't remember any music, but I still feel like somehow like the sound of those rooms was like resonant with me for some reason. So it's just my family, like off in the other room. <laughs> there TV. you go. That's where you're confused. Whatever the sort of lo- through the looking glass version of diegetic music is, where it's actually on your end and not the movie's end. I do want to uh, maybe return to the short for a second. Okay. Um, I don't know. I just. There's a surprisingly a lot going on in the short, even as yeah. there's not a lot going on in the short. And and when I watched it, I think the only note I made was this is pretty boring. Uh, but That's the more interesting, I'm fascinated by that because like I didn't find the short boring at all. Yeah, the more I think about it now, the less the less I'm inclined to think it's boring. I don't know that I'll ever go back and watch it again. But no, I don't think so. I yeah. But... But that's the the nature of Lost in Criterion is I never I, the, I, most movies I don't go back and watch again. I have even movies I love I just don't have the I don't have the time to go back to. True, yeah. that's also I don't get to watch uh, movies I like. Period. At this point, it's only right. the movies for this. This is all I watch. I feel I feel like the short has a, has actually has a lot of emotional content. Like yeah, a lot for something that's only what I. It's not even like it's like what forty five minutes long or something like that. It. it it distills a lot of coming of age stuff into a pretty straightforward uh tale that that I really do like um you know and 
and the kid's smart. The kid's. Uh, I mean, he's smart. He's precocious. He's he's. I, I like the part talking about you know moving the the uh, the little ski lift thing that they ride mm-hmm. up up and down. Um, you know, we get that early early scene of him sending the dad back down of the farmhand sending the dad back down where the kid asks, how do you know when to stop? It's like, well, when you see the red and then, and then there's a later scene uh, talking about equipment where, uh, where the kid's like, you know, you can just, you can, you can start to stop it earlier. Right. <laughs> like, Well, he even, he even says like, you can just jump off before you get to the end, which is to say like, like he's being an asshole eight year old or whatever, which right, the right, right. eight year olds do sometimes. Where it's like, you know, like even if you don't stop on the red, like the dude can just jump out, right? Like right. it's not going that fast. Like right. you can just jump out early. Yeah, because the farmhand the farmhand at the first point is like, Well, you gotta watch it. Somebody or, could or die. Somebody yeah. could die. Which is like it's fascinating because like the farmhand's not wrong. <laughs> like you stop it because like you don't want to accidentally hurt somebody, right? But this is an eight-year-old, and, like, eight-year-olds get like that sometimes. They're just like, well, you know, like, it's not a big deal because, like, you can just jump out early. Because um, he the, – the, presumably the eight-year-old was planning to do that. Uh, he is riding in the ski lift thing with no supervision, and the farmhand's asleep. and Or at least not asleep. He's in the other room, like, preoccupied or whatever, right? He's, like, tr- carving something into the wall or whatever. And – uh it, it it's very clear that like the that uh, our main character here, the the eight year old, I forget what he is, Stefan, is absolutely planning to ride this thing into the wall and jump out at the last second. He is doing right. exactly what an eight year old who finds out that you can crash a cart on a wire into a wall would do, which is play chicken with it because he's eight. Um, he plays chicken with lots of things because that's what eight year olds do. He stacks up the plates as high as he can. There's no logic or reason to it. It's just what eight-year-olds do. It's just what, like, kids this age do, where they're like... I mean, like, you ask them, like, it's a, it's a classic case where you, like, you have a kid and you, like, you know, or you're teaching children, and you're like, why did you do that? And they have no answer. That's a silly question to ask a child in the end. Like, why did you do that? Because they could, because it was... That's how you find out how things happen. That's how right. you find out the results of things. And yeah, throughout history, sometimes that shit gets you killed as an eight-year-old, right? Like, I mean, sometimes the cart does crash into the wall and you don't jump out in time and you get hurt or you die. Uh, but that's what they do. They test the limits of things. Uh, and he just does that throughout the movie, right? Like he, and he he he, he plays around with the idea of like, dominance and like being in charge of things like he's bossing the cows around like like they're people <laughs> like yelling at them because like that's the only domain over which he has any control or power uh and he plays around with it right he yells at the cows he like swats at them he chases them he actually he tells them how kind of to a lesser or greater extent how stupid they are that they're gonna like fall off the edge of the cliff don't be stupid you know Sort of the way like adults talk to him, you know. It's it's. I find it very. I find it very emotionally dense. It is full of the life and times of a like a like a third grader who's 
dropped off up in the up in the mountains for a week to just sort of like hang around and 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 like isn't like rebelling against the idea of doing the work so it's very clear that he's already been taught that he has to do the work he's told to do but he plays around with the sort of edges of things to like see like well I mean like I have to do these things but I can also I can also can do these other things again and you throw that in with the suspense of assuming that this child's going to be murdered at some point or that it's going to go like a bad short story we would read in like seventh grade where like he dies he like something bad happens even if it's not murder like something bad happens to him like he falls off the cliff like I mean the movie fucks with you all the time it's like oh there's this cliff over here don't let the cows go over the cliff and you're like oh he's gonna fall off the cliff <laughs> right? like right? there's so many fucking Chekhov's guns in this fucking movie yeah and none of them and, ever go off none of them and go then, off and all. then it ends with him falling asleep and it's yeah just, it's amazing yeah. I, I it is it is as a as a sort of uh sort of meta commentary on narrative it is and i think it is brilliant i i really do like i'm just going to how many Chekhov's guns can i put in a fucking 45 minute movie <laughs> and then just have it end with the children the child going to sleep yeah i i think that's an amazing thing to do i i do i think it's i think like it's right. playing with narrative in a really fascinating way again i don't know if i would watch it again mainly because like i know i'm not I wouldn't get a lot of new stuff out of the second watching, but I bet right. you know it won like a school, like a student film prize, and I bet everybody who watched it the first time was de- deservedly impressed. Yeah, because they probably all went through the same sort of like, holy shit, nothing bad happened. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> what? Uh. So I, I found it I found it I, I liked it a lot. I like both movies a lot. I think and they're interesting complements of each other. Uh they you can see a really strong through line there about like sort of contemplations of like what what people like what people are and things like that that are really clear. Um Right. Yeah. With stillness and like the sort of spaces between things. I'm not gonna use the word liminal because it's been ruined by the internet, but like, you know, on that on that atmospheric stuff though real quick um i do like that that so often when we're at the farm uh in revanche it's just completely fogged in in a way that mm-hmm. that separates it from the world yeah. uh, and that's really reflective of how alex utilizes the farm always it's always right, right, right. Uh, a disconnection from yeah, it's like a get, it's a life. it's a way to escape, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that is not true of other aspects of the country where we're when we're in there. Um, you know, when they're in the woods, there's never a mist, <laughs> really. Right, right. Um, certainly, when we're at, uh, even as we're looking out the bay doors of Susan and Robert's house at night, uh, you know, we are still separated. Certainly there. But. Well, that, I find that interesting, actually, because the bay doors of Robin and Susan's house, Robin and Susan's house feels like it's in a different planet. But, like, in a way that is not meant, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I I am sure that they are 
actually not very far from each other, probably just based on what Spielman has said and things like that. Like, right. Well, Susan like walks over. So like, no, I know, I know, I know. I, what I mean is like, they don't feel like two connected spaces. And normally I would see that as a bad thing where you're like, Oh, you've done a bad job of like sort of telling us about the geography of the place we are. But like, it feels like they're transcending universes between each other. You know, does that make sense? Like, when when Alex goes to their house, it literally feels like he's shown up in a different planet. Yeah, and like the other way around, right? Like Alex goes to Robinson's house, and they have like a manicured lawn and things like that. They like right. they have a sub like a house that feels kind of that blend of country and suburban, right? Whereas like Alex's house is a fucking farm, like and it, right. a, a very a farm ass farm. Yeah. And, like, they don't feel like they're connected at all, right? Like, they don't feel like they're neighbors, even though we know they are. I think that's part well, of the, sort of what's being done here, right? Yeah. Narratively, they are. Whether or not those locations are actually adjacent right, to each right. other is a different But I question, think there's but... a choice. I think there was a choice made there by the director to make them feel as disparate as possible, right? Like, when one goes to the other, they're, like, trans- they are literally crossing from, like, two different, like, crossing universe planes almost, right? Like, yeah. When she shows up there, she's out of her space and time. And when he shows up there, he sort of, like, right. he even looks like he doesn't, be- like, both of them do. Like, he even looks like he doesn't belong anywhere near that house. Like, he just has no fucking business being near that house, right? right. He's not the right level of manicured to be anywhere near that house. Right. Right? Um, and so it's, I think you're, it's, you're, it's supposed to generate a sort of, like, a dissonance when he... When he shows up, and I think for her too, right? She's much better put together than than the farm is, like right. as a person. Yeah. So, so in that manner, I think both both the mountaintop farm in foreign land and the fact that it is foreign land, uh, right. and Alex's grandfather's farm, and the way it's utilized in Revanche, mm-hmm. are literally liminal spaces in that they are transitional spaces. They exist in right, the state yes, between. Yeah. I, I'm avoiding the word because it's become devoid of meaning, not because yeah. I, it doesn't, it isn't appropriate here. Yeah. Uh, like his move, his movie, these, both these movies are chock full of liminal spaces. They exist in liminal spaces. And then those liminal spaces themselves are full of liminal spaces. It's yeah, both, both in the physical sense and a sort of like story sense. Like, again, we just sort of hang out and like, places that were just used transition uh, transitory i can't speak english but you know what i mean as at, for transition purposes right um, but yeah no i just don't i i have a bone to pick with the internet that's all <laughs> that's and just fair. like throwing that road just throwing that word around all willy-nilly like everyone mean, should like, always like, have a bone to pick with the internet that's yeah i agree you should, i agree your relationship well, I mean, to the, the internet should be 100 percent adversarial <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah agreed uh anyway um, I think we're about done here. So yeah, let's pull I mean, yeah, we've gotten into internet grudges. It's time to stop. Yeah, this week we've been talking about Gott Spielmann's 2008 film Revenge from Austria. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful movie. So glad to have had a chance to watch it. Next mm, week, for sure, I am sure we're going to enjoy it again because we're getting another Max Ophüls movie with Lola Montes. Uh, from 1955, which is uh, a historical romance. Look forward to that, as I always look forward to any Ophuls movie. Just really love Ophuls visuals. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing more of that. Ah, 
Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Titan. I'm, as always, Vidam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>